0: Well, we made it to New Orleans. Can you believe it? What a week we've had, as you've seen from the recap. We have done a lot of things in just a very short amount of time. We were able to go by Lake Charles and see some friends and then this traveling. I don't know why I put five guys, large guys, in my truck, but I decided that would be a lot of fun. And we just got a little stir-crazy, and so we thought, why film at the church when we can just roam the country? So we're on a thousand-mile journey, and we're doing a series called Mile Markers. Mile Markers. And uh, we found our way to New Orleans, Louisiana, a place I've never been before. So here we are in New Orleans, and we found a place that has World War II A memorabilia. And it was so perfect for us to capture this story of mile markers. And we're very excited about that because it's a reminder of our very first spiritual mile marker. Okay? So I want to talk about mile markers over the next few weeks, and I want to make sure that you invite your friends, that you tune in. These sermons, these services are going to be special because we're on the road, and it leads us, really, it leads us after this series to beginning in-person services at the Missouri City campus. So after these four weeks, we're heading back together at the Missouri City campus on October the 11th, so I hope you'll join us there. So I've been doing a little bit of research on World War II. Listen, World War II was an amazing war, right, and um, the... Things that we're discovering and finding out here, let me put on my glasses, is that on an average, 27,000 people died every day from September the 1st, 1939 till the formal surrender of Japan, September the 2nd, 1945. Did you catch that? 27,000 people a a day died or were killed right, in war during that period of time. And it tells us that we benefit today, all of us benefit today, because people somewhere in history decided to do something bigger than live for themselves. And they, they did something sacrificial, and they did something that cost them something for the sake of not just their loved ones but for future generations. So as we stand here today, as we live our lives today, what we're what we're realizing is that other people did something powerful to help us. Now our spiritual mile marker Here is really, really important. In fact, when Jesus was about to be crucified and give his life and be killed for something spiritual for us, to to provide for us a way to be forgiven of our sins, to provide us a relationship with the Father, as he was about to lay his life down, he was instructing the disciples on what really is the most important thing. And here's what he says in John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another." So our spiritual ball marker of love is really the primary building point. Now, I don't know what you use as spiritual markers in your life. I can tell you, I've been in church work for a very long time, and I can tell you this, that a lot of people think different things are what's really important to God, like discipline, like knowledge, like being at church or being generous or being compassionate or being full of mercy, And all those things, as important as we may think they are, Jesus set it out in a way that allowed us to see what really is the most important thing. When Jesus said a new commandment I give to you, he's not saying to add to all the other commandments, the Ten Commandments. And really, in the Old Testament, there's over 600 commandments for God's people. But when Jesus came, he replaced all those commandments with one simple command and that was to love one another. So this is what God is measuring. You know, a mile marker is put in place, and we've noticed over 375 mile markers since Houston. It's put in place to do a couple things for us. A mile marker is put in place to allow us to know really where we are and the progress we're making. So mile markers are important. And we want to know, if if you care at all about what God thinks about you, you, we want to know what God measures. And what God measures isn't discipline. It isn't, um, uh, uh, you know, being faithful to coming to church. It isn't about being generous or kind or compassionate. What it is about is loving other people. And what Jesus is doing here—I'm getting excited, sorry— what Jesus is doing here— is he's telling us, listen to me, this is important. You want to know what the most important thing is? You, you got to love one another. Now, he wasn't talking about feeling a certain way. He wasn't even talking about liking other people. He was saying, listen, if you want to know where you are with me and how far you're going to go and the progress that you're making, your spiritual maturity, you've got to figure out how to love One another. It's so simple. It replaces all the other commandments. And the reason it replaced all the other commandments, really genius on Jesus' part, is it wasn't a cause and effect relationship that God was after. It was about intimacy. And Jesus is saying these words just as he's about to lay his life down for us. When Jesus gave his life, and was crucified. He stood in our place, your place, in my place, because of the transgressions and the sins that we've committed, so that we would not have to pay for the consequences of our own sin. He did this because he loved us. Now, you've heard this verse. This is a verse we use a lot. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whomever should believe in him should never perish, but have everlasting life. So God's whole motivation in coming to man was based on love. And so when Jesus died on that cross and was buried and he rose again, he was doing this out of love. And so he turns it on us and he says, listen, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to have an intimacy with me, you're going to have to live a life of love. Here's another way to say it. You're going to have to live for something bigger than yourself. We live in a culture and in a time that tells us that that we are the most important thing going on and we are at the center of our world, our universe, and we are driven by our wants and our desires and our pleasures and our appetites. And all of a sudden there's this time of faith that happens and we say yes to Jesus Christ. And when we do that, what happens is we no longer have to live for ourselves. We have another option. And that's what Jesus is bringing the light here is. Listen, live a life of love. Don't live for yourself anymore. You're not the most important thing. Christ is the most important thing. Other people are the most important thing. And it's so counterintuitive to the world in which we live. It's so counterintuitive to what we naturally want to do. But I believe this is the way to happiness. This is the way to joy. This is the way to contentment. This is the mile marker that you should excel in. So I I don't know about you, but we kind of pick and choose. I do. I pick and choose what I think is important to God. I'm nice to a person or I'm generous with my money or I show up to feed the hungry or help the homeless or, or do all these nice things. And I'm not saying any of this stuff is wrong. I'm just saying... God told us what's the most important to, uh, to him, and that is to love one another. And I was thinking about that when we were coming here to this place where it demonstrates all this World War II memorabilia, and there's just some amazing things that happened. And if you think about this, I never served in the military, but my father was in the Navy, and my stepfather was in the Navy, and they served. Now, they missed the war, but they understood the price that was paid, for freedom, And I was thinking about that. I, I wrote down a few notes here. I don't know if you know this or not, but 16 million Americans served in World War II. 405,000 of them were killed. 671,000 were injured or wounded. And listen to this. 130,000 Americans were taken as prisoners of war. Now, why would people do that? Because something bigger emerged in the culture than self. It was the love of country. It was the love of freedom. It was the love of security. It was the call of duty. You see, and what happens when we are called to something from from a place that's bigger than self, when we abandon self-interest We are able to accomplish great things in life. That there's a bigger plan going on than your plans and my plans. I don't know about you, but I I spend a lot of time trying to get God to take care of me, to provide for me, to answer my prayers, to provide for my desires. I just wonder in all that distraction with self if I'm missing the bigger idea. And and the bigger idea that Jesus lays out is live a life of love, right? That for the love of others, we might be called to a life that's bigger than our culture could offer us. Bigger than accomplishment, bigger than wealth, bigger than prestige, bigger than power, right? Bigger than position, that because we live a life of love we are able to give ourselves to sacrifice ourselves in, in a way that really is marked by no other and it's this love for God and this love for others that allows us to live a life that's bigger than self interest i was i was reading this passage i love this in uh, galatians it says for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value and what's saying there in Jewish life, circumcision was a physical mark for Jewish men to say, I belong to God. And can you imagine the controversy that Jesus put in play here? He says, listen, um, when, 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 when Paul's writing to the Galatian church, he's saying, listen, let me tell you about this. Circumcision or not circumcision, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter anymore. The game has changed. And God opened the door to all people, Right? And he says, listen, the game has changed. So it's not about your religious devotion or the things that you think you're doing that are pleasing to God. Paul goes on and says this, it's the the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself. That's the only thing that matters. And we get so caught up in this highly educated, highly informed world of what we believe, what actually, what we decide God likes. And he's told us here, it's uh, faith being expressed in love and everything else that's, even our religion can be self-serving. Be honest. Sometimes you do things or show up at church or volunteer because you want to be viewed or seen as a good person. I'm a good person. This is what good Christians do. And and a lot of us live our lives in a way that says, this is what good Christians should do, and this is what good Christians shouldn't do. And because we have this kind of a rules list or a pros and cons list or whatever, however you think about it, we miss the bigger picture. And that is this idea that we're missing the idea that we are to live a life of love. And that includes loving people that aren't easy to love. I wrote this down. I, th- I thought this was helpful. Your love for God will be illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by your love for others. That's, in other words, if you're just going to be, you know, religious, and there's always loopholes in religion, by the way, then people will see through that. What, what people are going to say about you when you're not around or even when you're gone— when you're dead and at your funeral, is they're going to talk about how loving you were. And they're going to talk about the impact that love had on them. Now, when Jesus says this new commandment I have for you, right, that you love one another as I have loved you, it bodes the question for your life and for mine this, what does love require of me? Which is a whole different question than our culture is asking. The question isn't what do I want to do? or what's in my best interest, or what benefits me, or what profits me. The question is, what does love require of me? If I'm going to be a loving person, what can I do that's loving in a given situation? It'll change your relationship with your spouse, with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your boss, your children, your neighbors, that person you don't like but now you're called to love? I mean, that's kind of how it works here. What does love require of me? It's not to feel a certain way. I wrote down here too. It's, it's, to, it's, it's not to wait for other people to love you, but you're to take the initiative to love others. It's not a response, but it's a choice that you make. So how are you doing in the mile marker? Are you loving? Are you asking the question, what does love require of me to do? Are you you taking the initiative to love? Now, Jesus says, love like I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. And we know that the way Christ loved us is with sacrifice. That he said no to himself in order to say yes to the mission that the Father had provided for him to say I'm going to come and give my life away. He's going to be the ransom for our lives, for our souls. So we know the way Christ loves us. He loves us with sacrifice. He loves us unconditionally. And this is the hardest one. He loves us completely. He doesn't, he doesn't wait on us to love him. It's not that we love God, but it's that God loved us that makes the impact in our life. So this is the life God's calling you to. This is the mile marker. All the other stuff kind of falls away. In fact, all the other religious stuff that you and I think are important falls in line because if we're loving, we're gonna be devoted to the right things. If we're loving, we're gonna be committed to the right priorities in our life. We're gonna be wanting to love the way Christ loved us, right? I love this passage of scripture because as I was thinking about where we are in New Orleans, and as we viewed all this World War II amazing stuff, and as we were reminded of all those who sacrificed for our freedom today, I was reminded of this passage in John chapter 15. It says, "This there is no greater love than to uh, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend." This is a different way to live, people. This is a challenge to the core of our culture, of our life. This is an opportunity for us to live a life bigger than ourselves so that we can make an impact, possibly, I don't know, this may be a little romantic, but possibly for generations to come. You know, becoming a grandfather has really changed me in so many ways. And I've had to decide, first of all, to get in shape. So thank you for all the notes that uh, you've sent me that I've lost weight. No, I'm not sick. I'm just not eating sugar. But I decided to do that because I want to be around for my grand—if God wills, I'd love to be around for my grandchildren because I feel like I can make an impact in their life. Yeah, I, I started a church and I'm a pastor of a church and you're important to me, but you're not as important to me as my grandchildren and my children, and my wife. And I, and I probably won't be famous in the world because I love them well, but it makes my life richer. When you live your life for something bigger than yourself, when you live your life for the benefit of others, when you ask yourself the question, what does love require of me? All of a sudden, joy, and peace, and happiness surface in your existence. And it's so counterintuitive for me, because I think if I had more or more opportunities or more famous or more, all the things our world tells us we need, then I'd be happy. Jesus is saying, well, you have to figure out what you're going to do. Are you going to live the life of love or are you going to go the way of the world? I leave you with this second Corinthians passage. Paul says this, The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all of us have really should die to ourselves is what it means. Therefore all have died and he died for all that those who might live, listen to this, might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So the mile marker of love is really, really important. The mile marker of love says, listen, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't live for yourself and be happy. It's too much tension. That if you're going to live a life for yourself, you got to find that co-worker or that neighbor or that person in your life that needs to be loved, that's not loving you back necessarily. You don't get anything back, but because you've experienced the love of Christ, because you've experienced this unconditional, merciful, compassionate love that God's provided for you, because you've experienced this, you can extend it to others. You see, we typically look at our human relationships in a way that says, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. But that's not the way it works. The way it works is because my needs are met in Christ, because my relationship with God is healthy, I don't need you to sustain me or fulfill me. I want to love you. Boy, this has transformed my marriage. Oftentimes in my marriage, I've been married for 32 years now, and oftentimes in my marriage what I do is I wait for Lisa to act right in order that I might act right, that she is loving, that I'm loving, and it sort of becomes keeping up with who's, who's ahead and who needs to catch up. And it's just incredibly tense. But then somewhere, maybe it was counseling or some other place, I figured out I'm just going to love her. That my job is to love her, serve her, that she's more important than I am. Because on this mile marker of love, I wanna get ahead. I wanna be successful. I wanna go on this journey with God. And the only way I can do that is to be loved by God and have my needs met by God so I can love Lisa, my grandchildren, my children. People who don't love me, I'm going to love them. It's quite the commandment that Jesus led. So how are you doing on this mile marker of love? Let's pray together, and then we'll continue our road trip. Father in heaven, being loving, being loving is the most important thing. And we'd rather it to be religious or to be informed or to be smart or to be devoted but it's to be loving. And when we look at this, we, we naturally go to self-interest. We naturally tend to take care of me first. So the, what you're suggesting, what you're commanding, is so out of the ordinary, so unnatural. May we have the faith that's expressed in love. May we not live for ourselves. May we find joy and contentment and peace because we've emptied ourselves. And I thank you, God, for all the men and women who died, who gave their life, that our country may be free, that our lives may be free today. They serve something bigger than themselves. And may we all be inspired by that to live our lives for you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Well, stay tuned this week as we continue our journey and our road trip. We're headed to Selma, Alabama, to the Pettus Bridge. Watch us all week on Facebook, on Instagram, and figure out what we're doing on the road. God bless you. Have a great week.